Tonight we want to consider further in our study of the prophets for a few minutes before we call it a Lord's Day. We want to look at the persons and the character of these men that God has chosen to bring to us the secrets of His hidden wisdom. Why don't we open our Bibles tonight to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5 for our first scripture reference. I don't want to hardly make any review of this morning at all, but try to look at several different aspects of some prophets this evening. The purpose for this morning, tonight, next Sunday morning, and next Sunday night, the Lord willing, is to remind all of us what kind of men God has chosen, what blessings it is to have them, and what we should be praying for our brother, for God to enable him to defend him, protect him, support him, and supply him in his work. This morning we looked at the persons of the prophets of God. We saw that they were not chosen from a high and lofty state in life, but they were chosen as the foolish and the weak and the base and despised things, and God raised them up and used them so that he might make foolish all the wisdom of the world. What was the illustrious career of Amos. He was a herdsman part-time and his other part-time job? A gatherer of sycamore fruit. Quite a resume. But he was a prophet of God. And when he was picked on by a priest, he said, I wasn't a prophet. I wasn't the son of a prophet. I was just gathering sycamore fruit. But the Lord appeared to me and said, Go! and speak to my people Israel, and that's why I'm speaking. So back off. That's what he said. Now, that's almost what he said. That's what he intended, and that's the sense of the words there to that priest. I didn't ask for this job. God has sent me, and what I have to say is from the Lord himself. We know the careers and professions of five of the twelve. What were they? Four fisherman, and one toll collector or custom collector. Four fishermen, we don't know about the other seven. They could have all been fishermen. There could have been a number of other fishermen. We don't know the particular circumstances of their professions. But as we look at issue examples like that, we see how the Lord has chosen men, not that the world would choose, but that he would choose. As in the case of David, the Lord doesn't look on the outward appearance He looks on the inward. He looks at the heart. What kind of man is inside? What is the man inside? Will he hold fast the faithful word and preach my word faithfully, or will he compromise? The Lord has chosen simple men and raised them up and given them strength. Let's look now at Moses just for a moment. We want to see the character. And I could spend from now until the end of October, on the character of the prophets of God, because we'd have to look at all their lives and all the different aspects of their lives. But let's look at just a few to see that the character of God's prophets are boldness, dogmatism, and faithfulness. Now Moses ran away from Egypt when he was 40 years old. Why did he run away from Egypt? He killed an Egyptian, and the Egyptians were looking for him. And so he fled the nation of Egypt, 40 years old. But 40 years later, he comes back. Now when he comes back, does he come back incognito with a 40-year beard and he lives among the Israelites trying to remain obscure and unknown? Or does he walk straight into Pharaoh's courtroom and say, let my people go? Now what happened to that man in between? He met God in a burning bush. And he was ordained. That's the ordination of Moses at the burning bush. Because God said, I'm sending you back into Egypt. And you're going to bring my people out of there. And that was his ordination. And what a change it made in the life of Moses. And that's what we want to pray that God is going to do. Moses was a great man when he went into the desert. But he came out a better man. Because the Lord had dealt with him for 40 years. And he had met the Lord there. And I don't want you to forget how rebellious Moses was. He did not want to go back to Egypt nor lead those people out. He is talking to a burning bush. 
the burning bush is saying, I am that I am. And he, and the, and the burning bush, which is the Lord, said, I want you to go back and bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses said, they won't believe me. The Lord says, put your hand inside your cloak. Remember? He puts his hand in and pulls it out. It's all leprous. He puts it in again according to the Lord's command, pulls it out, and it's clean and pure again. Now, what should that be enough Amen. for a man to go preach? Yep. Who will I say sent me? How will they know that you sent me? Throw your rod down. And it becomes a serpent. He picks up the serpent by its tail and it becomes a rod in his hand. Now, should that be enough to go and preach? I can't speak. He was just like Jeremiah. I'm slow, I'm slow, Lord, in speech. It'll be hard for me to talk in front of Pharaoh and in front of all the Israelites. And then the Lord got angry. Said, and I told you this this morning, but I want to point out to you that Moses, that is considered the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, was that rebellious. The Lord has gifts for the rebellious. Amen. And he uses them that the Lord God might dwell among them. And did the Lord God dwell among Israel because of Moses? When Moses was in the tabernacle, what did it look like? The glory of the Lord shone out of that place. Amen. The pillar of cloud would come down on it. And if Joshua was with him when he left, where did Joshua want to stay? Right there in the tabernacle because the Lord was there. Because God would come down and speak to Moses face to face. We'll come back to that passage sometime later in this study. What I want to show you is just the first verse of Exodus 5. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. That's what I want to show you. Because in chapter 4 and chapter 3 is where we have Moses not wanting to go. But the timid man is now going and saying, Thus saith the Lord. And that is the message of every true prophet of God. Thus saith the Lord. Amen. But we're looking at their character. Turn over a few pages to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. Moses had a wise father-in-law. And Moses' father-in-law Jethro gave him this advice when he saw that Moses was being overwhelmed by taking care of this great nation. And his advice is in verses 21 and 22, which give us a further picture of the character of God's elders, God's prophets, men that God chose to be his rulers. This isn't pure natural wisdom. This is wisdom blessed by God through Moses' father-in-law. Exodus 18:21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. But notice the kind of men. We're looking at the character of the men of God. Right. Able men. And what does that mean here? Such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Amen. He's not to be given to filthy lucre. He's to hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. And he's to fear God. That's a prophet of God, and that's the character of them. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18. Children, do you all know about the prophet Elijah? The whole nation of Israel, well, all of them except a few thousand, and they weren't known. The whole nation of Israel was worshiping Baal. And Elijah the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, Get together all your prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and the prophets of the groves, 400 of them, and let's have a religious debate. Let's have a confrontation. Let's have a test and see the true God reveal himself. That's all that 1 Kings chapter 18 is about. You can read about it in verses 17 through 40. And you remember the story. How that, God, how that Elijah, the prophet of God, let the prophets of Baal go first. And so they built themselves an altar, and they were jumping around and screaming and cutting themselves, and the blood was running, and they were crying out for their God to hear them. 
but he never answered. And Elijah mocked them. And we're looking at the character of a man of God. He's taking on 950 prophets of Baal and prophets of the groves by himself. That's the character of a man of God. Now, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we all are. As soon as this confrontation's over, he's under a juniper tree wishing that he could die. That was his Sunday night experience. And the Bible tells us that about him. The Bible tells us that. Next, next chapter. Next chapter. He's under a juniper tree, 19.4, and he's asking for God to kill him. After he's just taken 950 on. But when there's a, when there's a cause, he's, the man of God is there. And he takes on these prophets. And he makes fun of their religion. He makes fun of their God. And he tells them that they ought to be crying a little louder because he could be sleeping. Baal might be sleeping. And so the prophet asks these false prophets to cry a little louder. And then, as it comes toward the end of the day, and he's given these prophets all day long to address their God, he asks for an altar to be built, and he puts it together. He says, let's dig a trench about this altar. And they dig a trench around it. He says, bring me some barrels of water. And they pour the water over it, and he says, that's not enough. Bring the barrels again. And they pour that over it, and he says, bring the barrels again. And they pour that over it until the water soaked the entire altar and filled the ditch around the altar with water so that it was all water and wet, soaking wet. And then he got down and he made a prayer like this. And men of God don't have to pray long. Look at this in verse 36. It came to pass the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. We're approaching 6 p.m. That Elijah the prophet came near and said, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. That's not a long prayer. How long did it take? Twenty seconds. He didn't call him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, did he? He called him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Does that mean anything to anyone here? Amen. When was Jacob's name changed to Israel? When he had a big request and the Lord gave it. And Elijah's got a pretty big one, wouldn't you say? What if nothing happens here? Yep. It's 950 against one. So he asked for the God of Israel. But here's the answer. Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Amen. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah says, Don't let a single one of them escape. As soon as he gets the crowd on his side, grab those prophets and they took him down to a brook and he killed 950 prophets. Right. That is the man of God. That's a prophet of God. That's bold. That's courageous. That is fearing the Lord. That is being dogmatic and faithful to God's word. Amen. Now let's come over to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. That is Elijah. Elijah did many other things also. Elijah was a great prophet of God. When Jesus Christ was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration and shown His glory, two men came to be with Him and to speak with Him. Those two men were Moses and Elijah. Amen. The first two I've shown you tonight as being the prophets of God. And I want you to see their boldness. But now in 2 Kings 2, and I want to suggest that every father in here take their children home and those that have children that can understand, read and explain 2 Kings 2. Because 2 Kings 2, and I, I almost want to take the time and read the whole thing to you, is the ordination of Elisha. Amen. It's the ordination of Elisha. Several chapters earlier, back in 1 Kings, Elisha is out plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he's behind the 12th. And he's plowing, and Elijah just comes by and throws his mantle over his shoulders. And that was the sign. That was the sign of all the sons of the prophets that lived at Bethel and Jericho. Elisha was the one. And so Elisha knows that. But now it's time. It's time for Elijah to go to heaven. It's time for Elijah to pick his successor. 
it's time for Elijah to ordain another prophet. And 2 Kings 2 is about that. They, they cross the Jordan River. Elijah takes Elisha across the Jordan River, just the two of them. Elijah takes his mantle off. That's a piece of cloth that's worn over the shoulders. We would call it a shawl or something like that. He smacks the water. The water divides. And Elijah and Elisha walk through on dry ground. That's the prophet of God. Right. And there's 50 prophets standing on the side of the Jordan River watching Elijah and Elisha cross that river on dry ground. They want to see what's going to happen because the Lord has revealed to them that Elijah is going to go away that day. And they get over there. Verse 9 tells us in 2 Kings chapter 2, it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. What can I do for you before I leave? And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Amen. Now, is that a bold prophet of God? Yeah. Can And I, we read this last night in our devotions as one of the chapters we read. It is so precious and it is such a wonderful ordination service. Here is Elijah having picked the successor by the inspiration of God and is encouraging him, what can I do for you before I go? And that young man is so full of zeal he wants a double portion of Elijah's spirit. John the Baptist was what Jesus would say, the greatest man ever born of women. Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. You'd think that'd be enough, wouldn't it? But Elisha wants double that spirit. Can we all pray that way? When we pray, can we pray that way? Can we pray like Abraham, who dickered the Lord down from 50 souls to save Sodom, down to 10? Can we pray like Jacob, who would not let the Lord go when he said, let me go? Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Did he get the blessing? Yes, yes he did. And look at Elisha. Elisha says, can I have a double portion of your spirit? And Elijah said to him in verse 10, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Elijah says to Elisha, you've asked a very hard thing for God to give you twice the spirit that he's given me. But if you see me leave, you're going to get it. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. A tornado took Elijah up into heaven with the chariots and the horses of God, all of fire. And look at verse 12, and Elisha saw it. Now if Elisha saw it, what does that mean? He got the double portion. He was given the double spirit of Elijah at his ordination. And you all better be praying in a godly way for what's coming up in two weeks. Amen. Was Elijah jealous? Did Elijah say, I don't want you to have twice my spirit. It'll make me look bad. Nope. Nope. Or did he say what the Lord gave him to say? If you see me, you're going to get it. I want all of you to be praying for our brother Amen. in the way that the Bible shows us that bold men pray. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. Because Elijah had been taken away, he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. Now, brethren, Elijah has just been taken into heaven by a tornado with the chariots of God, but they missed something. And the mantle fell to the ground, and Elisha picked up that mantle. The mantle was representative of, representative of the prophet. And now Eli Elisha turns around and heads back to the Jordan River where there are 50 prophets on the other side watching what was going to happen. And we read in verse 13, He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. You read the rest of this chapter, 2 Kings chapter 2. They had a problem at Jericho with the water. 
he cured the water and he cured the land. Some children made fun of him because he was a bald head. He cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of those children for having made fun of the prophet of God. He had twice the spirit of Elijah. The point being, look at the men of God. Look at a man that God has picked for his office and the boldness that he has and the dogmatism that he has and the faithfulness that he has. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He didn't call him the God of Elisha. He said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? He was faithful to what he had been shown and seen already. But he wouldn't take teasing from children either, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Look at the seriousness of the prophets of God. A double portion. Did Elijah ever raise a woman's son? Yes. So Elijah could raise the dead. Could Elisha raise the dead? Yes. When did Elisha raise the dead? Now, he did some others, but when Elisha could raise the dead, when he was dead. When Elisha died, they threw his bones in a pit. Sometime later, there was a battle fought on those grounds, and a man died of a foreign, a foreign enemy of Israel, was killed in battle, and they threw that dead man into that same pit, and he happened to land in the bones of Elisha, and he came to life. Is that a double portion of God's Spirit? Amen. We're not turning to that passage tonight, but it's in the Word of God. Don't you love the Word of God? Amen. Isn't that a wonderful story? Yeah. A dead man's thrown in and lands on the bones of Elisha, and he comes to life. That is a double portion. May the Lord be praised. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 3. We're looking at the character of the prophets of God. Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel and Jeremiah are two of the pitiful stories in the Word of God of prophets that were called that were not listened to, that were not obeyed, that were not followed. They were not heeded in their warnings that they gave the nation of Israel. But notice the character that God required of Ezekiel in chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. Follow along with me. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of an hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of an strange speech and of an hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely, had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted, Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee receive in thine heart, and hear with thine ears, and go, get thee to them of the captivity, unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear. You go, preach the word. This is exactly what Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 4. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, and out of season. The Lord tells Ezekiel, you go and tell them, thus saith the Lord, whether they will hear, that's being in season, or whether they will forbear. They won't hear, they'll just put up with you. That's out of season. You go preach anyway. But notice here the character of the prophet of God. A forehead harder than an adamant flint. Because he made his forehead hard against their stubborn foreheads because he was to preach the word of God and not to back down even if they weren't going to obey it. But you go preach my word to this stubborn house. If I sent you to, to another people, they'd hear and obey it. But I'm sending you to Israel and they're not going to hear. I'm telling you ahead of time what they're going to be like. But don't you back down. No fear. If there's ever been an expression for no fear or one of the places that it could be used, that expression, in a godly, proper way, it's when a man of God faces his congregation. No fear. 
It says in verse 9, Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And you preach, thus saith the Lord, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. That doesn't matter. You have a message. I've put the words in you. I've made your forehead hard. Now go do your job. That's a prophet of God. We want to look at the character of the prophets of God, and that's what we're doing. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 so that we can see the New Testament counterpart. I quoted it to you, but I want all of you to be established in it. 2 Timothy belongs to the minister of God because it's a pastoral epistle. 1 Timothy belongs to him. Titus belongs to him because those three epistles are directed specifically to God's ministers. These are his job description. These are the words of Paul the Apostle to his understudy, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last chapter Paul wrote to Timothy, he says in verse 2, preach the word. That is a minister's job description. It's a pretty simple one. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. That be instant means to be insistent, pressing, and urgent. It does not mean to be able to preach on a moment's notice as some of us were taught long ago. It means to be insistent and pressing. Whether the people want to hear it or whether they don't want to hear it. When they want to hear it, you're in season. They're sitting there saying amen, smiling, nodding, and agreeing with you. And you can tell by their eyes and their faces that they want to hear the word of God that you're preaching to them. At other times, you're going to get into subjects and they'll be sitting there with their eyes and their lack of expression and their lack of amens and their frowning faces that they don't necessarily agree or they don't want to obey what you're preaching. And still, the solution is the same. Preach the word. That's the character of God's ministers. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Here's the character of God's ministers. Verse 9. Being creative and coming up with new programs that will keep the hearts of the faithful interested in... Titus 1.9 holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. The character of a man of God is to stop mouths, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. And then he goes on to describe the horrible character of the Cretans themselves, where Titus was left, he said of them, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. This is a man of God. This is his character. He's stopping mouths, and he's sharply rebuking those that aren't living right. Even if it's a whole nationality, Titus, on the island of Crete, with a nation given to this kind of character, And yes, generalizations about nationalities and races are appropriate in the light of Scripture and the light of anybody with two eyes. Because all nations that dwell on the face of the earth are different one from another because God hath made them different one from another. And the Cretans were just like this. This verse, to study it in the the ancient writings and to find out the The esteem that was held for the man that said this about his own people is quite impressive. But anyway, this man said of his own people, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. They were given to dishonesty. They were evil beasts. They weren't even pleasant beasts like sheep and domesticated animals that are gentle and you enjoy having them around. They're evil beasts that will tear you and are dangerous. And they're slow bellies. They're slothful and lazy and would rather eat than work. It's all that. And so what's a minister of God to do? Paul dumps him off in Crete and says, Here's your job, Titus. Go from city to city and ordain elders. Shut the mouths of those Jews that are preaching fables and correct these Cretans from their dishonesty, their laziness, and their vicious characters. The man of God. I want you, I want us to look at the manner of some of the men of God. Look at Matthew chapter 23 with me. Matthew chapter 23. The manner. The prophets of God 
have had manners and methods contrary to refined pulpit manners. If you go to seminary, you're taught refined manners in the pulpit. But the men of God haven't had those refined manners. That's why when the men of God like Peter and John would preach, anyone that was educated could tell very quickly that they were uneducated and they were ignorant men. But listen, give me an ignorant man who's bringing me the testimony of Jesus Christ based on his word. They were so short and concise in Acts chapters 4 and 5, they just laid it out where it was. You crucified the Lord of glory. God's raised him from the dead. And by his name, we've healed this man. And we're going to continue to preach in his name. Whether we should preach or not depends on God's will, not your will. We ought to obey God rather than men. Bold. Preaching the word of God. Prophets of God have manners and methods that don't fit the world's idea of a smooth, refined, urbane, elegant, educated, suave, gentle minister. Do you know what most people think of their past? The pastors that are held in the highest esteem in Greenville County are the old pastors. One of the number one things they have going for them is a description like this. Well, I just love Dr. So-and-so. I just love him. If you'd have seen how he handled my grandpa's funeral, if you'd have just seen how he handled my grandpa's funeral, I'd just love him. He was such a kind man. You should have seen what he said. And he shook my hand as he walked away from the, the graveside. Where in the word of God is that? I can't find an apostle at a funeral. The only apostle I can find around a dead man, he raised him from the dead and brought him back into church so he could continue preaching all night. They didn't go to funerals. I'm serious. I asked my children on the way to church tonight, I said, my little daughter said to me, you keep telling us to blow out of our minds all the bad images of ministers and prophets of God that aren't true but I don't have anything in my mind to blow out. That's what I got from Rebecca on the way to church tonight. I don't have anything to blow out. And I thought to myself, Lord, you are merciful. This is why you train up a child in the way they should go, and they don't know any other way when they get older. And Daniel said, well, you've said it enough. I'm old. He was, he's a few years older. He said, you've told me enough that I know it from what you've told me. And then they brought up. They brought up the most esteemed man in Greenville County in Baptist circles that eats in our store and has over the years, back a couple years ago, a couple of times a week. And I'm just going to leave it there. A very pleasant man. We enjoyed his company. He loved our family. He asked me to preach in his church, the biggest church in Greenville County that's Baptist, on Father's Day because he loved seeing the family working together. Very kind, very gentle, very pleasant, very gracious. 400 funerals a year. Because he's been around for so long and so many families know him and their children and their children that when someone dies, they want Dr. So-and-so. Very wonderful man. However, is he like the prophets of God that is tri- described in the Word of God? My children and I discussed it on the way here. There is no way he could be like the prophets of God because his church would not have that many members. If he ever unloaded against television, movies, or any other carnal activity of his church members, his church would shrink or he'd be looking for a new church. Right. They'd never heard an unpleasant thing from him in their lives because he doesn't have an unpleasant thing to say about anything. It's because it's the nature of the work. If you're going to keep everyone happy, you better be like a politician and say what everyone wants to hear and give them a 15 or 20 minute sermonette on Sunday mornings that they can print in the newspaper on Mondays. I like the man. But when it comes to the word of God describing what a prophet of God is, there's a different character described. Amen. The, the refined, educated, and effeminate members of society who love political correctness despise the prophets of God, and they always have. Because the prophets of God value their sober message far more than they value popularity. So they'd rather preach and lose public opinion than to compromise to gain friends.
Some of the examples I'm going to give you here quickly before we close are used to discredit the Word of God as, as possibly being Scripture of the Holy God. I want you to look at Matthew 23, though, because it fits this particular point, and I referred to it this morning. Matthew chapter 23, beginning with the first verse, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens, and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But here's what I want. Here are false prophets. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. A phylactery was to take a parchment and write a few select passages of Scripture on it, roll it up, stick it into a piece of hard skin, and tie it to your forehead. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord said that you ought to have the Word of God between your eyes. And what He meant was to have it in your mind and in your heart. But they'd tie it in their foreheads, and the Pharisees would make a big one so that in public they looked holier than the other people. Now remember, the Israelites had a border, a, a fringe on their garments, the border of their garment, remember? It was to be a reminder of holiness. Remember? Yeah, I taught that. They made theirs larger so that in public they would appear to be more holy. Now when ministers go out in public in a suit, I don't mean a suit like a business suit because a business suit wouldn't be recognized, but they go out in these funny clothes, a Halloween costume, with a backward collar, when they go out there like that, they're wanting everyone to recognize them as a man of the cloth. They want to be recognized just like these men in Matthew 23 and verse 5. These kind of men love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi, to be called of men, doctor, doctor so-and-so, to be called of men, Elder so-and-so, to be called of men with flattering titles. We don't need flattering titles. All we are is brothers and servants. Look at the Word of God, and Jesus condemns rabbi and master and father. And he says, you don't have any of those except me. The Lord, the God, your God, God that is in heaven is your father. You don't have a father upon earth. He's also your master, and he's your true rabbi. But what I want to point out is that there are some men who want to modify their conduct to be seen of men as being God's holy men. And the Lord goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, Those that want to be greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted in verses 11 and 12. Brethren, that's what we want to see in the manner of the prophets of God. They're never trying to put themselves up or to appear different in public or to get flattering titles. Reverend so-and-so? Oh, that's Reverend so-and-so. You know, when, they see, when you see them in an airport or you see them on the streets, you recognize them because they forgot their tie. And yet, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Yep. They wear clothes to be seen of men, and they love the titles. They love to be called Dr. So-and-so. There isn't a profession in the world that has more honorary degrees and more correspondence school degrees than the religious biz. Right. And yet the Lord said that they, those titles aren't to be given. They're not to be seen of men. So let's look at what the real prophets of God look like. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. Ahaziah is a king that has fallen through a lattice in his palace, and he's injured, and instead of sending to the true God, he sends to Beelzebub. And there's a whole story about that, and you're going to have to go read it yourself. But I want, to, I want you to know that when he sends out men, and they cannot make it to their destination, and they return back saying that a prophet had met them, when, the, when they come back, he says, what did the prophet look like? And we find the answer in Second Kings chapter 1. And they answered him, he's in a custom-made suit, and he's got gray hair, and he's very refined looking. Second Kings 1.8 
this King Ahaziah who wants to worship a false god, his messengers are being rebuffed and being sent back. Rebuffed severely, <laughs> as they're going to be. And the king wants to know what he looks like. And here's the description in 2 Kings 1.8. He was an hairy man and girt with a le girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah the Tishbite, a hairy man with a leather girdle around his loins. They had met a prophet of God. He wasn't in a suit. And John the Baptist came just like this man. Right. And what did John the Baptist wear? Camel's hair. Now, when we read camel skin, we think of one of those fine jackets that are sold at a men's store called camel's hair. Anyone tonight got a camel's hair jacket on? No, I don't see one tonight. That is not what John the, ba what John the Baptist was wearing. John the Baptist, have you ever looked at a camel up close? Have you seen what pretty fur a camel has? Come on, those of you who've been to the zoo, be serious. Have you been to a camel? It's, it's ugly. And all he's got is some camel hair wrapped around him and a leather girdle. And he's a wild man. And he lives out away from people. He won't drink wine or strong drink. And he, he lives on a diet of locusts and wild honey. He doesn't even get his honey at the grocery store. He picks it off the trees. And he eats locusts. And he looked just like Elijah. This character of Elijah was not exceptional. It was what the prophets wore. Look at the book of Zechariah. It's near the end of your Old Testaments. I want you to see that this was typical of the prophets of God. None of what I am saying means that next Sunday you're going to see me in a burlap bag. But there might be a time for it. I don't have that commandment in the New Testament, but I want to show you the character in general of the men who've been God's prophets. And what I've asked you to do is blow out of your mind every idea of what they ought to wear. How do you know what a man of God ought to wear? Zechariah 13.4 And it shall come to pass, Zechariah 13.4 It shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he hath prophesied. Neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. These are false prophets, and the only reason I've turned you to the verse is to show you that the false prophets, in order to look like true prophets, knew what they needed to wear. And what did they need to wear? A rough garment. And if they wore a rough garment, they looked in public like a prophet of God. Because they were wearing a rough garment, not a fine garment, not a religious garment, no phylacteries, just a wild man. And so we come to John the Baptist. Let's come over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. The manner of the prophets of God. Verse 7. Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What did you go out to see? A man in soft clothing? No, the prophets of God did not wear soft clothing. He, John the Baptist looked like a wild man. It said, the, peop, the people of Israel said of him in verses 18 and 19, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he hath a devil. The people of Israel looked at John the Baptist like a wild man, a crazy man, an insane man, a devil-possessed man. Jesus did not send men, and God did not send men to appeal to the fleshly interests of men. Right. He sent a man with a message, and the message was simple. Judgment is coming. There's coming one after me who was preferred before me, for he was before me. But he's coming after me, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost 
and he's going to baptize you with fire. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I just gave you one of John's sermons. Now, if you asked him and you were a soldier, what shall we do? He'd say, do violence to no man and be content with your wages. But his sermon and his message was short. But I want you to see his manner that God chose for a man that Jesus said was the greatest of those born of women. Did you know that according to Isaiah chapter 20, Isaiah went naked and barefoot for three years to make a point about the Egyptians and the Ethiopians. You ask me, did he do it? Yes, he did it. That's a faithful minister. Naked and barefoot. Go read the context. It'll help you understand the degree of nakedness. He was to show that Egypt and Ethiopia were naked as far as being able to help Israel. Israel had looked to those two nations as their defense and their help in battle against the Assyrians. And so to give an object lesson, Isaiah went naked and barefoot for three years. This is the manner of the prophets of God. They are blunt, bold, graphic, and plain to get the word of God across. Don't put your trust in men, but put your trust in the Lord. That's Isaiah 20. Jeremiah chapter 3, if you were to read it, Jeremiah describes unfaithful Judah as an unfaithful and whorish woman. And when the prophets describe an unfaithful and a whorish woman, for those of you who have read all of your Old Testaments, you will know how graphic and plain they are because the point is to be made how corrupt it was for Israel, so blessed of God, to turn from the true and living God to idols. It's as if a man had loved a woman and yet she had turned from a loving husband to play the whore in the grossest of terms. Did you know that according to Ezekiel chapter 4, God had Ezekiel bake biscuits over human dung, but when Ezekiel complained that he had never done anything so corrupt, God said, okay, I'll let you off. You can use cow dung. That's Ezekiel chapter 4. If you read on into Ezekiel chapter 5, Ezekiel had to shave his head and his beard, and then God had him do a number of things with a third of each of that shaved hair, making object lessons for the nation of Israel, the manner of the prophets of God. If you go into Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel 23, you'll see Ezekiel describing the nation of Judah and Israel as sluts in the plainest, most graphic language imaginable. It's the manner of the prophets of God to get their point across. When the Apostle Paul wanted to say that all of his past religious experiences and confidences were nothing in comparison to Christ, what did he say? I count them but dung that I might win Christ. Now, some, we're, not, we're not looking to be offensive. The point needs to be made that there are severe differences between the things of this life and serving the true God. And the prophets of God get that difference across because they use plain speech. If you go to the book of Hosea, you'll find that the prophet Hosea married a prostitute, took a prostitute, and had three children by her, and named each one of those three children a particular name. This is all in Hosea chapter 1 for object lessons for the nation of Israel. Then two chapters later in Hosea chapter 3, he went and took a woman that had deserted a loving husband and he took that woman and he married her forever to give a picture of the love of God toward those people Israel. Hosea chapter 3. How about the Lord Jesus Christ? What were his manners? What were his methods? Did he use parables to hide the truth from the crowds? Yes, he did. Matthew chapter 13 tells us that plainly. Did he blast the Pharisees? Matthew chapter 23, he called them vipers, serpents, and whited sepulchers and blasted them. The Pharisees were the most conservative religious organization of his day, and he blasted them with the authority given to him from heaven. Did he ever take a bunch of small cords and make a whip and go into the temple and clean that place out? We all know the story, but the fact is we have to remember the story to understand the true character of Jesus Christ. He is not that effeminate, long-haired creature that they put in Hollywood movies. 
He is not that long-haired, effeminate, woman-looking creature that they have standing at a big door, knocking on it pitifully, seeking entrance. The Lord Jesus Christ that said, I have the keys of hell and of death, and when I open, no man shuts, and when I shut, no man opens, he is described as exactly how he looks in Revelation chapter 1, but they never paint a picture with him looking like that. And we have to remember that, Lord Jesus Christ, because it's very different from the other Jesus preached in this world. Would he provoke his enemies? Did he always know what they were thinking in their hearts? Did he sit with Simon the Pharisee one night at supper and say, Simon, I have somewhat to say to thee. And Simon thinks that he might be getting something good here in front of all of his friends. Say on, Master. And Jesus pointed out that that sinner woman that likely prostitute from the city that was known by all to be a great sinner that was at his feet was the better person in the room over Simon the Pharisee and that she had been forgiven. Was Jesus ever told by his disciples that he had just offended the Pharisees? Did he respond by apologizing? Or did he say they be blind leaders of the blind? Let them all fall into the ditch. I say all of that because we're looking at the manner of the prophets of God. It is not our desire to ever choose to be offensive. That's foolishness. It is our desire to always present the word of God unapologetically, uncompromisingly, and to do it in a very plain, powerful, bold, and dogmatic manner because that's the way it has always been done by the true prophets of God. And you can give me a farmer, a herdman of Tekoa, who was a gatherer of sycamore fruit, and if when he stands up, he says, thus saith the Lord, I want to listen to that man. I don't want to listen to the pretty sermons that are refined that only last 20 minutes and have three or four illustrations in them, and when you go home, all you can remember are the illustrations. I want to hear, thus saith the Lord, and we are looking at the persons and the character and the manner of the prophets of God, and that's it. They preached the word. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. And brethren, I want you to pray for the man that we're going to ordain, that he'll be a prophet of God after the manner and the character and the persons of prophets of God that have gone before him. May Jesus Christ be praised.